Good morning. The staff and the team around here, but isn't it just amazing that the Life Group's pastor is subsidizing people's EHR books if they don't have enough money? Just he, he didn't want to say that out loud, but but I wanted to give him credit that he's out of right out of his salary that he's taking care of people's books. So well done, Glenn. No, not quite. But uh, I did say in the morning in the first service this morning, he said if some people want to give a little bit more, and I yelled out from the back or a lot more. You just help cover other people's stuff. That would be great. Uh, emotionally healthy discipleship is a huge part of our foundational discipleship core around here. We are, God used it really in Leah and my life over 10 years ago in that journey, basically to restore our relationship with God, with each other, save our marriage, and really our ministry. It's it, When he says, you can hear lots of big promos sometimes, and it seems like uh, a discipleship course that will transform your life. We have been transformed through the principles of going through it. That's why it's core here. That's why it's on a rotation of, of the different courses that take place. So we'd love to have you join us. Um, we Not always will it have like the kind of big push in a life group season, but because of COVID last fall, we did a big push of trying to catch up with emotionally healthy spirituality. And this fall is getting the big push, push for emotionally healthy relationships. So there are some other options. You're free to sign up for those too, but we really want everybody at some point, if at all possible, to go through the emotionally healthy discipleship courses as a foundational part of your discipleship. So please look into that. How many of you like to hear good news about other churches? Yeah, good. And uh, so a couple uh, good things today is we're celebrating along with Pathway Ministries Church here in Saskatoon. They've been they've been around for over a decade, maybe it's uh, 15 years. Sorry, Ivan, I don't remember how long it's been that you've been a part of that. But uh, they got for their first time after 15 years of renting places and being in different buildings and renting in hotel rooms, they were having their first service ever in their own, very own building today. And so we're very excited for them. We haven't always owned this building, but for the 10 years we rented it, we basically got to act like we own it, and now we've owned it for 10 years. But for about four or five years, the Rock Church was in rental places all over the place. So I know what it's like to not have a home base, and so uh, I know that they're celebrating today. And then Elam Church and our friends over there, most people know, at least in our city, what's gone on with the flood that they had in the middle of June, and they've been figuring things out, and they had to go to afternoon services at another location for the summer. But they are experimenting or trying something new and they're having church going back to Sunday morning services at Prairie Land Exhibition. And so I don't know if there's ever been a church have regular services at Prairie Land Exhibition, but I'm excited for them. I'm sure they're excited to get back to Sunday morning services and um, who knows what comes of it. There might be people that all of a sudden show up at Elam that would never show up in, in a church building, but it, they've been to the Prairie Land Exhibition numbers of times. We'll just think that this time, instead of getting on the Ferris wheel trying to reach heaven, They'll go and meet Jesus to reach heaven. Amen? That was way better than you guys are giving me here. If you want to throw in a chat, nice one, Pastor Dallas, or something like that, that would be, that would be good. And uh, last thank you is thank you to all who helped and came out to her story as we uh, learned how to say goodbye to a ministry and close a ministry. We don't know what the future holds with the kind of gap that that leaves for, for ministry, but felt God was um, leading us to close that at this time. And so it was great to have people come back. They said they were going to miss it. They were sad, but they were excited to hear what might happen next and that they wanted to be involved with what was happening next. So we're very grateful and blessed by the, the people who choose to not just call this church home, but we, because of the outreach programs and the things that go on, we have a 
huge degree of partnership with other churches and Christians in the city of which we really, really lean on and rely. So praise God for them. How many of you have ever visited a farm? It's not that radical of a question in Saskatchewan. Most people have visited a farm. I grew up on a farm. A farm has a lot of elements to it. And uh, not very many things that you see on a farm go bam, there it is. Although there is a barn being advertised on the radio these days that if you purchase it, they will have it built in like 24 or 48 hours or something like that. That's pretty amazing and that's as big a poof as you ever get. Normally, it's long, in the same journey, steady, and you start to see some fruit. So you're driving down the highway, you've all seen barbed wire fences running the length of the highway. You see some horses, you see some cattle, you see some, some grass. Those fences don't just go bam. If they went bam, you'd have to have like hundreds of people trying to build really fast. Those fences are built something like this, and I've built a few. A pickup truck is driving in the grass or the dirt with you. There's a bunch of fence posts in the back. You start, you put one down, and then you step out evenly, the five or six or eight steps, whatever you've decided. Between the next one, you pull one out of the back of the truck, you lay it down. You string a long wire from corner to corner so that you have a line, and then you line up every post at its right spot in that line, and then you use the, the tractor with the post hole, post pounder, pardon me. Um, you don't post pound holes, but uh, I already made my, made my stumble mistakes this morning about sounding too much like a city boy, even though I sounded like a, uh, I'm supposed to be a farm boy talking about hammers and this and that and not sounding like I know what I talk about. Um, guess you have to be there. <laughs> I wish I wasn't at that exact moment. <laughs> So uh, all of a sudden, uh, normally two or three guys working for a day. There's some guys that actually, that's their job. They do it all summer, and they're a one-man show. It's an amazing thing. But they, they, all of a sudden, you got this huge, long fence, and all it is in place for is, uh, the only reason it happened is because one post after the other, one thing after the other. There is uh, dairy farms, and dairy farms... have been basically the same through the centuries. You take a cow and you get its milk and you deliver it to a customer. Now, modern technology has changed a number of things in how fast you can, can do that or how many cows you can have, but the essence is the same. A cow gets into a stall, her udder is washed, they uh, milk her with a machine, and then that milk goes to market. And if you just had one cow, one day, one week, that's a little bit of milk might do your family. But when you have hundreds of cows in one location and they're milked two or three times a day, all of a sudden you've got semi-loads of milk going to market. So one cow over and over at the right regiment turns into a supermarket full of milk, right? All right. Leah said I could do this publicly, so she's going to come up here and help me. Turn to your part. Turn to somebody beside you. Turn to somebody beside you. One of you choose who go like this. And the other person gets to do the dairy farmer's handshake. I was unsure. I was very unsure if I wanted that online. And I am still unsure, but my wife said to go for it. Hopefully you get what I'm talking about today in regards to the title of the message is Little by Little. Little by Little, 
doesn't seem like a lot, but it makes a big difference. All of a sudden, you have miles of barbed wire fence because you did the same little thing over and over again. All of a sudden, you have a supermarket full of gallons of milk. For those of us who are part of the family of God and recognize that the kingdom of God is on the move, we recognize that God does big, miraculous things in the moment. And we love those things. As we said last week or the week before, we love miracles. The problem with miracles is none of us often want to be in situations where miracles are required. Financial miracle, relational miracle, health miracle. But he still does it and we still pray for that. However, often... Those big things that take place in life happen with us partnering with what his vision and what his plan is. And that the little things he invites us to do alongside of his bigger plan is how he accomplishes his larger purposes in the kingdom. That we have a direct part of that. Big things get done using little ways. We are active partners in what God is doing. Why does God choose to move like that? Why, why does he use little, little ways or little by little? And what part does he have us play in that? Today we're going to briefly look at God's promise that he made to them about, and about moving into the promised land as they came out of Egypt. He said he would do it. We'll look at what the Israelites' part was to be in that. And then we'll talk about maybe how that applies to us. As you heard our worship director sing the title of our series, Welcome Home. It, just for the record, it's never easy to go out on a limb and do something risky. So well done, Amy, for risking something new. Come on, you guys. Like, give a She risked something. She wasn't looking for applause. She just got it anyways. Last week's message was entitled, Let's Begin, in regards to this Welcome Home series. If you didn't get, get to watch the message yet, please go back. It's, it's pretty important in regards to the life of this series. But today is entitled, Little by Little. And the overarching theme of welcome, welcome Home is that God's heart is intended to be our home. And he wants to also live in our heart. And that that's where we find our acceptance and our belonging and our place. And that the body of Christ is the expression of God's love in this world. There, we're the hands and feet and heart of Jesus to each other. And so the body of Christ is identified by the local body of believers is meant to be a place where it's always welcome home, where it's always thankful you're back and that God is wanting to move in our midst. So we're picking up the story. Um, oh, I forgot to pray for the churches, right? Yeah. Sorry. Let's pause and do that. Forgive me. Heavenly father, we thank you for your always on the move and, and, uh, Today, Pathway Ministries gets to celebrate the little by little that you did in their lives to bring them to a place of a building. So we pray that they've had a, a great time together. Bless them so, um, in, as they settle into that community and their influence throughout this city and area. Just bless them and help them, I pray. And for Elam, as they have their first service at Prairie Land Exhibition, bless them, help them draw people to church who would never be there otherwise and encourage them as they go through this journey of getting their, their building back after the flood. So bless them and help them in Jesus' name. Amen. We're picking up the story of the Israelites in Scripture today after they've had a number of hundreds of years of journeying with God. The fast forward of a first section of the Old Testament would be there's Adam and Eve. There's sin that comes into the world that gets so gross and ugly that God says he's going to start over and he allows the flood to come. And Noah and his family are saved through the, the ark. They reestablish and repopulate the earth. And then at a certain time, God calls a man out of a community, out of a nation named Abram. And he, was, he pulled him out of that community. 
he said, follow me, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And with that man, Abram, who he changed his name to Abraham, began the process of building a nation, a people who would be those dedicated to God alone. And so that Abraham is the name that we often talk about, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are like the three patriarchs of the, the Jewish faith. Um, Joseph, who everybody knows of, in, including Hollywood, is the, the one that went into Egypt. And he was the one that helped save Egypt in the, in the drought and in the famine. And then his whole, all the Israelites came there, his whole family. And then from there, it just blossomed and flourished. They did all this great stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's a leadership change. And the Pharaoh changes to a different Pharaoh. And that Pharaoh doesn't remember what took place before and begins to treat them as slaves. Tomorrow, we pay tribute to our queen. And her body is laid to rest. And there's many, many glowing tributes about her life. And then the king begins his reign. Or I guess, forgive me, he's already begun his reign. And the question remains, what kind of king will he be? There's a question that happens when there's a transfer of leadership. And that new Pharaoh in that land turned them into slaves. God called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. They had all this amazing um, favor to eventually get out of there. And where we are today in the book of Exodus, after it's been, this story has been told, is that God has just recently given them the Ten Commandments, given them to Moses, and now he has further outlined different moral code areas. So he's talked about theft, he's talked about personal property, he's talked about injury, he's talked about how to handle food, all these kind of moral code things. And then we arrive at chapter 23 where we are, just before chapter 24, where the Israelites proceed in a ceremony to actually ratify this covenant or this set of laws that they are agreeing to follow because they want to be the Lord God's people. So God has brought them out of slavery, out of a a land that was not their own and not their home, and now he is giving them a home, the ultimate welcome home story. We watched a show this past week where uh, it was one of those home makeover shows. And that person who owned that house was the first person in his family heritage or lineage to ever own a home. I grew up in a home that I owned. I rented for a couple of times, but the majority, if not all, no, the majority of my married life, I've only been married once to the same woman, so I was looking for help on that. We rented for a bit, but we've owned, owned since then. There is nothing like having your own home, a place to put your belongings, a place to put your stuff. And it's, it's one of the challenges of our society that there's so many, uh, that homelessness is an issue. And the, the, the uh, issues that go along that make that an obstacle for so many people that we want to pray alongside and support and try to help because a home is meaningful. Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 to 30. See, I am sending an angel before you, this is God speaking, to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. So God's giving the instructions about getting to the promised land, their homeland. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you are careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. 
You must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. Verse 25, you must serve only the Lord your God. If you do, I will bless you with food and water. Remember, in that culture, in that time, people were like subsistence, living subsistently, if I'm using the words right. The day's events were built around trying to get enough food to live often. Would they be have water security? Would they have food security? So for God to declare to them that they would have food and water is a statement that every nation of the world would always want to hear. I will bless you with food and water, and I will protect you from illness. There will be no miscarriages or infertility in your land, and I will give you long, full lives. I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all the people whose lands you invade. I will make your enemies turn and run. I will send terror ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals would multiply and threaten you. I will deliver them out a little at a time until your population has increased enough to take possession of the land. Those last two verses again. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. So God has promised them a land. He promises to drive the nations out so that they can take possession of the land. And then he describes a process that's entitled little by little. What is going on that the God of the universe has to all of a sudden move into little by little mode? That's like beginner mode. That's like learning how to walk sometimes it seems. That's like dealing with toddlers. Why is the almighty God of the universe all of a sudden saying little by little? He's going to give them the land if they will obey. There is a cause and effect there. And we know that the Israelites messed this up so many times. It was like a constant cycle back to pick up the Israelites where they left off in in obeying and then got off track. And then God brings a way of redemption back for them and they continue to move on. But it did not go as nice and easy as described in these verses because they did not always obey. But they would have a part to play. There's all sorts of different strategies when we see what God did in this giving the Israelites giving the Israelites this promised land. There was wars that were to take place as that God was going to drive the people out, but they would have an active part. And so it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament that sometimes those things just happened with flat out war. Warriors, weapons, horses, chariots, bows and arrows, that there was fight like that, that they sometimes won or lost. But there was other times that was really unique, God's strategy. March around the city for seven days and then the walls are going to fall down. Take the 30 people and cut it down to 300. Get your best torch, your best pitcher, and your best trumpet. And we're going to go scare that army at night and they're going to end up killing themselves. There were some interesting strategies that took place, and the only thing that varied in regards to whether a strategy was successful or not was if the people were obeying God at that time. 
if they were in right stead with him, right standing with him, or if they'd been obedient. It, God was doing all those different things because he was lining his people up to learn how to trust and how to grow in character. But when they didn't, immediately after the walls of Jericho fell and they had that victory, they're supposed to go and take another city called I-A-I. And that city, the spies go and check and they come back and report, you know what? Just send two or three thousand. Let all the other men rest. They had seven days of marching. Just let them hang out and we'll take it with two or three thousand. They go and they get annihilated and sent running and head back because there was sin in the camp. They had disobeyed how that was that conquest, so to speak, was supposed to wrap up around Jericho. And because they had sinned and, and rebelled against God, God allowed them to fail and they and he got their attention. So God was going to give them the land. God was going to be the one to clean out the land if they would obey. But then it says that God is going to clear out the land little by little so it does not overtake them. So that they can actually multiply enough to possess and inhabit and care for the land that they've been given and entrusted. This is very confusing to me. Very confusing to me. That the almighty God of the universe again isn't going to drive out wild animals. He can drive out whole nations, but he isn't able or isn't willing or isn't going to put the land on slow mode so that the grass doesn't grow as fast or the trees don't get so gnarly so quickly. But he's going to allow the people to move into the land little by little so that they can actually take care of what they've been given so that the wild animals don't take over. Or if you live in Saskatoon, the jackrabbits that go all over our communities these days. He is going to drive the nations out to give them a land, but he is still expecting his people to show up. His people don't get a free pass. They get a free pass in that if they obey, God is going to take care of everything, but they still have a part to play. It's so interesting. Again, just think of you, if you were a parent, if you're not already, if you are a parent... Don't you want to keep your kids out of danger? If I'm changing, especially when my kids were little, if I'm changing a tire on the car and it's on the jack, I'm saying, you guys get out of here, stand back in case this thing falls. But but God isn't actually asking his children to be distant participants or just observers. He's asking them to engage. It's kind of like... War would be like telling your kids to go play in a drawer full of knives or go play on the railroad track. Like, there's a risk that something good is not going to happen. I guess, though, that God isn't a helicopter parent. Did you catch that? That God's not a helicopter parent. He's actually not just hovering, making sure that you are okay all the time, even though he's by your side all the time. His desire is that he wants to grow up mature people who follow after him, not just him babysitting the same spiritual aged babies, toddlers, youth, or adults all the time. He actually wants us to mature and grow. He's actually wanting the people of God to grow up and be winners, not wieners or whiners. He will do it a little by little. God is smart. He has a plan. 
He knows where their home is going to be. Then he knows when to do it. He knows when the right time is based in regards to that cycle he was on with them and drawing them to himself. He was knew when to do it. He knew that there was times when the Israelites, and just like you and me, when we recognize that we're serving the one who can bless us, the blesser, so to speak, and all of a sudden we receive all these blessings and we're living our life and things are going pretty well and we're, we're healthy and relationships are kind of good and finances are kind of good and the home life's kind of good and all of a sudden we're so just thankful for the blessings that we just pray, God, give me more blessings and we take our eyes off of God and put it on the blessings and we get mixed up thinking that the stuff is about the stuff. But in reality, he is the one we're supposed to be focused on. And so whenever we get our eyes focused on the stuff rather than on the one, he's always going to bring us back. He's always going to draw us back to that. He knows how to do it. And then he knows what to do. He knows best, pardon me, he knows best how to do it. That because he knew that he needed people to grow and mature and for them to just even physically multiply, he would not give them the whole land at once. It meant that this walk and journey for being the people of God, and it's the same for us with God, to be in a relationship of promise, to be in a, a covenant relationship where he's promised to save us through the blood of Jesus Christ if we put our faith in him. That is, it is, it is done, we are his, but the journey for what he wants to bring us into and what he wants to have happen in our lives requires us as his children to obey and follow him. That we need to do our part in the relationship. God was challenging, we know this phrase a little bit, he wanted the Israelites to have some skin in the game. He wanted to learn to trust and to own the God Almighty as their personal God and that they would never turn away from him because they recognize he's the only one they could trust and put their hope in and follow and entrust their whole lives to. He did not want them to go to the way of other nations, but rather to learn to depend on God. God is looking for us to go to that journey because he's looking to raise royalty. He's not looking for his children to remain children, so to speak, in spiritual things. He's not looking to be a helicopter parent to raise couch potatoes or spoiled brats or entitled children. He's looking to us as his sons and daughters to raise us up to be prince, princes and princes in the kingdom. That we operate with the authority that he has purchased for us. And so we need to learn character. We need to learn discipline. We need to learn responsibility. And let me tell you, this is just one example of many things I did on the farm. I've said this before. There's a chance that farming prepared me better for ministry than, than Bible school because of all the life lessons. But there was many steps, one after the other, in fence posts laying out. There was many forkfuls of, is that worse than a dairyman's handshake to talk about cleaning out a barn? One after the other, growing in responsibility. He wants to teach us that, that we would grow in our discipleship. I'm going to invite my father-in-law to come up at this time. As, as we've talked, as I mentioned last week, there's going to be times through this season of Welcome Home as we focus a little bit on the life of the Rock Church in particular and celebrating 25 plus years of ministry that um, we're going to hear different angles and different stories and dis different testimonies. My uh, father-in-law 
Ron and mother-in-law Linda, whom I love very much, uh, weren't an official part of the church for the whole life of it, but for the last decade plus have been, and uh, so grateful. We we have a relationship and have shared so many experiences that unless you go to church together and you serve together and you live uh, in the same city together, you just wouldn't get to experience. So it's one of the blessings in our in our life. Uh, Ron, thanks for being willing to do this. I know you much prefer to be behind cameras than in front of them, so uh, we uh, appreciate that today. Uh, why did you and Linda choose to come and make the Rock Church home? And in particular, why did you come choose a church where your children were pastors at? Uh, well, I, I, the simple, simple answer to that is that the Lord led us and drew us here, uh, put something in our hearts that we felt um, we should go that direction, and the, the how-to of all that, I guess, was that you know you, I had been involved in other churches uh, in various capacities for quite a few years, usually larger churches. And um, as Dallas and Leah started their ministry, and we saw the things that they were doing, going through uh, their struggles, their um, uh, successes, and we, we saw the Lord working in their hearts, in their lives. Um, we saw them struggle with some things, but uh, but the Lord brought them through those things, and uh, we could see that the Lord was doing something in this church and doing something in them, and, and that was an inspiration. It, it's an amazing thing when you start learning things from your kids. Um, it, it's a little uncomfortable at times, but it's also very good. <laughs> and um, so the time came when um, our attachment to our previous church seemed to be waning, and um, we had started um, to volunteer here. And um, as time went on, we just felt um, that we should be starting to come here. And I'm the one that kind of looks further ahead, and my wife is more uh, one day at a time. So I kind of had that thought early on, and then over months, uh, she finally came to the point where she said, yeah, I think we should. And in making that final decision, it was after that that some uh, events and some things happened that really confirmed that that was the decision that we were supposed to make. And... Um, uh, so we we went ahead, and um, the Lord has been faithful, and the Lord has been um, gracious, and so have Dallas and Leah. And uh, you know, I guess I should say that um, you know Dallas has mentioned many times that if uh, he hasn't apologized to somebody this week, it, the week isn't over, or something like that. <laughs> uh, between the four of us, there's been lots of apologies and lots of grace for each other. The, the situation of being the parents of um, the pastors uh, is, you know, we, we didn't go into it thinking that there would be uh, no uh, challenges. But what we've found is when we keep our focus on the Lord, uh, there's grace both directions and from the Lord. and, and, and He's helped us to um, uh, flourish, I think, in uh, in that relationship and within the church. And uh, we just thank God for that. I mean, um, nothing is ever, you know, our walk is never perfect every day, but we 
we have uh, found that when we focus on the Lord, uh, He is faithful to to um, just keep the relationship open, and uh, we've learned that from our kids and from the Lord, I guess. Yeah. Thanks, Ron. That's gracious. The privilege is ours. Um, We've been talking about little by little and small beginnings this past couple weeks. You were here and saw a bunch of the stuff that a lot of people today wouldn't even know was the way it used to have to operate. It was so small. Do you want to share a a story or two about either from church or how we used to do church to children and youth or music or technology or her story? You've seen a lot of things and been a part of a lot of stuff grow and develop from small beginnings just by doing a little bit over and over again. Well, there's a lot of stories that, uh, some of them humorous, uh, <laughs> that I could tell actually along those lines. But And I even thought of doing a different one in this service than before, but I, I just couldn't. Because uh, this is such a good story, I think. Um, you know, in the early days when... Um, uh, well, even before we were coming, but we would visit and stuff. Um, the worship team and the tech team were basically Dallas, Leah, and James, the bass player. Um, that was that was it for a long time. And uh, uh, having had the privilege of being involved in worship team and tech team since then, it's been interesting to see that step-by-step development. But in those early days... Um, well, the worship team was those three pretty much. Uh, there was we had an old acoustic piano here that um, originally belonged to us with a, a cracked soundboard that we had on stage, and Leah played that. And uh, they would take uh, requests, and um, Leah didn't always know those songs, but they would just say, "Well, just." play and uh, uh, she'd say well what key and, and Dallas would tell her well just play in a moderate key uh, and uh, and then Dallas was the tech team at that point you see he would play drums uh, he had a microphone to sing uh, he had the soundboard beside him to adjust the sound and he kept a, a mouse on his a, a computer mouse on his knee and it was connected by a long cord to the computer and that was connected to the pro- projector and he would advance the slides by clicking that while he was drumming. And uh, so we've sort of come a long ways, a lot of steps from there. I don't even know what button to click anymore, so... uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'll even admit it was pretty cool to see the slides change on beat. (laughs) Uh... Ron, what would your testimony be today about God's faithfulness to the Rock Church and uh, with you and Linda being foundational core people, just God's faithfulness to you guys and your part in it over the years? Uh, all I can say is that God is faithful. He has um, he's, he's met all of our needs and, and uh, he has met the needs of this church uh, in a step-by-step um, incremental way. It's, I, I guess what I would say is that he puts a desire in our heart and and when we step out in faith uh, and, and obey and do it, then he blesses it and provides what is needed. And he's done that over and over and over again over the years. Um, when we needed a new dishwasher for her story and we decided, okay, well, let's have a 
let's have a fundraiser and raise $6,500 to, to get a new um, dishwasher. He provided that, but then he put a desire in our heart right away to go do another step and another step and another step, and he kept providing for that until we did a renovation that was a million and a half dollars. I mean, that all started with a with a dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, like, that's just amazing. Uh, he's been faithful throughout those things, and I guess what I've learned over the years is that if we will keep our eyes on him, and even when we're not quite sure if he's saying do this, but we kind of have that desire and we step out, he's always faithful to provide what we need. We've had favor with other churches where they have blessed people to come here and help us in our ministries and um, have given money towards our renovation and have, you know, and that's not just other churches, but individuals from other churches and from in in this church, and I would say that he's not done with us yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the best is yet to come, uh, as long as we will continue to, you know, sometimes maybe a little, in a frightened way, maybe a little bit, uh, step forward. He's faithful to provide what what he needs to take us in that direction. Awesome. Give a round of applause for my father-in-law. It is very difficult to be the pastor of your in-laws, but it is far more difficult to have your son-in-law as your pastor. I I know that for sure. So uh, very grateful. That one of the best moments or clearest moments of pastoring over the years was at lunch on a Sunday after church when we were with Ron and Linda and they said that they were planning to come to the Rock Church and they've just been so loving, supportive, worked so hard and Ron and Linda, I love you very much and we're very grateful for you and uh, thank you for all the foundational work that allows you now to just be sitting back there sipping coffee and not even doing anything techie today, so well done. If you want to be more like Ron, go visit him at the tech table because we need some tech people signing up, right? They all of a sudden got quiet. Did get quiet. And you don't have to be techie to be a tech person. Go find out what that means down there too. God is smart. He has a plan for TRC. He had a plan. It was so painful that, and so not obvious so often. I hate the little by little when it often felt like millimeter by millimeter or one step forward, five steps back. That's how little it felt at times. But God was faithful and he saw us through. He wanted us to be in right relationship with him. I talked about at the beginning about emotionally healthy relationships and that God saved our, our marriage and our ministry. That wasn't because things had gone well for the first 10 or 15 years. It was because God needed to do a character work. If God actually would have answered my prayer when I was 18 years old or 20 years old in Bible school and say, God, make me a pastor and let lots of people come to know you and let me have a large church and all that kind of stuff, I would have done so much harm and so much damage to so many people because I lacked so much character and so much patience and and so much love and so much grace. And and, uh, if you could just be like me who got to grow up in a privileged white home and go to church his whole life and know nothing but the gospel, just be like me and you can have a good life how horrible that would have been and how painful for people to have to hear it and how destructive to the things God would want to do in their hearts and their lives but he had to weed that out of me and unfortunately I'm a tough cookie or a tough nut to crack 
And it took a lot of work and a lot of time. He would only give it to them in a way that they could handle. And for the reality of the Rock Church, as things have grown and changed and developed over 25 years, he's allowed it to grow and develop as we've been able to grow and develop. Often, along with our discipleship as part of that, you heard the building story. We we were rental to start with, then we owned, and then we had to renovate to the place we're in today. In September of 2010, this church had about 30 or 40 people attending and one staff member, me. And he wasn't sure he wanted to show up every day. (laughs) God, at that stage, didn't let the bills and legal responsibilities and pastoral care and discipleship and everything going on, didn't let us swamp it, didn't let it swamp us and kill us, but he gave us enough to definitely be doing and to learn and to grow and for our own stuff to be worked on through the process. And so we do desire for big things, for salvation, healing, transformation that can happen through a growing healthy place. What is God's part? He plans and he works. What is our part? We trust and we work. Or you could put in brackets there, obey. That God is planning. He's going to do the work. We don't have to stress, fret, or be anxious about it. But we do have to learn to trust him and obey him. And the journey of the Israelites was a journey of learning to trust and to keep coming back and growing in that. And it's ours today. If we don't realize that that's what God is doing... We will have a bunch of missed expectations. We'll think, it doesn't have, I don't have anything to do with it. It's all on God. God didn't do it. It obviously isn't about me. It's just he didn't want to. Yeah, but there's rebellion or there's pride or there's sin in our life that doesn't allow God to do what he wants to do in us or through us or around us at that moment till he deals with us in that. Or, on the other hand, we could think, God is just a silent partner. It's all about me. I'm just not good enough to see what needs to happen. It's going slow because I, I uh, suck or I'm bad or we got to deal with guilt and shame. And we, we think we've got to be all that before God pays any attention of us to us in order to do what he wants to do in us. Which is not true either. That he is full of grace and he leads and he walks his, with his broken people. And he is supporting us and he will always bring us back. If we are not turning our, our backs against God and just operating in rebellion and going against his way, if we are turned towards him in any way, shape, or form that he can catch our eye, he can catch our attention, and he can bring us back on track. That that's what he loves to do. He doesn't actually love at all to say you suck because he let Jesus Receive all that punishment on the cross simply so that he, you can hear his words that he loves you and that his plans for you are good. And that's why we call him our loving savior. There's all sorts of partnerships in this world. There's business, family, work. They can succeed or fail for many different reasons. But what helps position us for our partnership with God? Briefly, be hopeful. God keeps his word. Moses kept going to Pharaoh. Moses kept talking to God. Even after they worshipped a golden calf after receiving the ten ten commandments, uh, Moses kept going after God, kept drawing the people. God, if your presence isn't going to go with us, then we're not going without you. Moses was hopeful. 
and hope-filled. Romans 15:4. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The scriptures are written for hope. Depression, distress, anxiety, fear. You struggle with that or any of its related cousins. You start doing scripture little by little, day by day, hour by hour, phone reminder by phone reminder. And you let that start to permeate and transform your heart. It puts you on a different path because God in his word said, this is here for your hope. If you don't have hope, look to God's word and let it infiltrate your lives. Number two, be patient. Little by little takes time. I didn't watch the whole Riders game on Friday night, but assuming that they, knowing that they lost, I assume there was a little more time running side to side than straight down the field. It is very hard to make a yard after yard after yard to enter the end zone. It is very easy to run sideways and have people chasing you all day long back and forth. But the little by little, inch by inch down the field takes work. But God, Moses was patient. God was patient with Moses. Moses killed a man. Moses struck the rock for water when he was supposed to speak to it. But Moses also learned how to wait on God. Moses also learned how to take the advice of his father-in-law, Jethro. I'm a benefactor of that type of advice. My father-in-law, Ron. Impatience will get you in trouble. But patience positions you for partnership with God. Psalm 37, verse 7. Be patient, pardon me, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Wait patiently for the Lord. Patience aligns your heart with the spirit of God and what he wants to do in the things that go little by little. If you can be patient, then God can use you in the little by little and he can uh, transform and shape your life. Anybody here want to pray for patience? (laughs) It's a good prayer. Just try to find a car lane on the way home that's empty. That'll help. Number three, be thankful. Oh, let me give you one little hint about being patient. If you choose the longest line, you're never disappointed about getting through slowly. That helps a lot. Train being patient. Put yourself in places that need patience. Number three, be thankful. What has God done so far? Your day should not have a day where you are not giving purposeful thanks to God for something in your life, even if it is salvation, over and over again. Being thankful positions you to be able to work in partnership with God as you trust him and thank him for what he's already done. So many times our prayers are full of asking for simply what's next without dwelling on why we might be paused or dwelling on what he's already done and giving him thanks. Anybody here like having friends or children that just come and ask you for stuff 24-7? Gets a little old. Thankfully, God is patient with us. But we be thankful. Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. This is Thanksgiving after getting to go through the Red Sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. Let us be thankful. And then the bonus one is be aware. Have a meeting with yourself. 
check your heart. Invite Holy Spirit to examine your attitude and actions. Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. When you show up at a dentist or a doctor and you need to be diagnosed, sometimes there's a confusion in figuring it out, but they're often saying something. They're engaging something. If you put yourself in a place to be diagnosed, you're going to get some kind of feedback. That is 100% true if it's not always true in the healthcare system. It's 100% true with the Lord. If you take your life and you put yourself before the Lord and you say, Father, search me. There's nothing that I want in my life that is not of you and doesn't, doesn't uh, resemble you. Deal with me so that I can repent and I can be cleansed. We use the phrase around here sometimes that says, if it smells like hell, you know where it came from. You know where it comes from. Does it smell like pride? Does it smell like resentment? Does it smell like gossip? Does it smell like fear? Those are not at all in the same ballpark as the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you can start to recognize when things are off, when you feel off, when you talk off, when you watch things that are off, when you text things that aren't appropriate, if you start to pay attention to yourself, invite Holy Spirit into it, He wants you clean more than you want yourself clean. And He wants to clean you up. But He won't do it unless you surrender that area to Him. What is God's part? He plans and works. What is our part? We trust and obey and keep surrendering to him. The worship team is going to come. God is always working. He is always working. He's doing it in his kingdom. He's doing it in the life of the Rock Church. And he's doing it in your life as well. We all want that big miracle. But if you can settle into what the little by the little is in your life, I think you will see more miracles. One of the exciting things about the Israelites getting into a promised land wasn't just that they would finally have a home. They were actually going from an existence that was slavery to actually being homeless and wandering and being lost to actually getting a home that would, they would be able to call their own. So the physical stuff aside, they were actually getting to taste freedom. It was going to be their place and their space. And you know what I can do in my home? Anything I want. I get to serve God in my home. I get freedom there. When you surrender the areas of your life and let Jesus go after it little by little, you get more freedom. You get more sense of his heart for it to be your home. He is great and he will come alongside. He won't helicopter parent you, but he will walk alongside you in order to mature you. What little by little stuff needs its next little by little step in your life? Character. Integrity, spiritual devotion, is there pride or judgment? How's your compassion? How's your generosity? How's your love level? How's your trust with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your honor of your parents? How's your selfishness level? We're all selfish. We live in North America. It's pretty hard not to be selfish with all we get to enjoy. But as we surrender to God, he moves us from a place of selfishness to generosity of our time, of our sharing our gifting, sharing our finances. Where are you not acting or not moving or not obeying or not doing what he's inviting you to, to the point of actually following him and doing your next little? God wants to do it more than you do. 
and he will step in if you will take a step alongside with him. Do you trust him enough to follow? Do you trust his littles enough? Do you trust enough to surrender in what he's inviting you to obey in? We're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to come back and lead us in a prayer of surrender for that, for those of you who wish to do that, and then we'll close.